scripture reading, we're turning to, surprise, surprise, Psalm 119. We are coming to the Vav section of the psalm. Uh, as I was telling some of the guys over lunch break, this is the, as far as the Hebrew poetic structure goes, the most boring of the 22 sessions. Not the content, by the way, the structure, because the letter Vav is also the word end, A-N-D, like the conjunction. And so every verse in this, this section, verses 41 through 48, start with the word end in Hebrew. So it's end, 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 end. So he, the author isn't super creative on this particular uh, section. Yeah, so, but the content is not boring. Right, Jerry? Yes. Jerry asked if it was going to be a, a boring sermon since uh, <laughs> it may still be a boring sermon, but it's not because of the content. So this is the word of our Lord, Psalm 119, verse 41. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. So shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. And I'll walk and at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I'll speak of your testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. And I'll delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Before we begin, one, one other um, just structural comment. This, this section, because of the nature of the letter of Av, and meaning end, there's a difference between this section and the other section. So far, every section, each verse has been a sentence. You know, so it's not uh, each verse you can end with a period. This section, uh, that's not the case. Each two verses is a sentence, even though in the King James, New King James, it doesn't, it's not read, uh, writ, written that way, but if you look at the ESV, you're going to see that there are multiple verses uh, uh, per sentence, and that's part of the structure, the, the grammatical structure. So you're going to have two verses per thought instead of just one in the previous few uh, Stanzas. Let me ask you this. Who here has lacked boldness to share the gospel with unbelievers? I'll raise my hand. All right. Who at times has felt ashamed or embarrassed of the Christian position on a particular issue? Like there is a, a particular, in the group, and they're all Talk, they're all saying that they hold a particular belief in this way, and you know that the Christian belief is this one, and you're kind of embarrassed that the Christian belief is um, this one. Even this morning, when Sunday school, when I was talking about, I brought up the test of adultery for the woman who was supposed to eat some, drink some of the dirt from the bottom of the tabernacle. There's a just a, it's right there, out of numbers. It's, it's, it's out of the inspired word of God, but there's a tinge of embarrassment even saying those words but it's right there in the Bible who here would like to grow in boldness for the Lord and the gospel 
I hope everybody, right, both hands, like we're charismatic now. <laughs> this section of Psalm 119 is a prayer for boldness to stand on and for the Word of God amidst opposition. That's what we read here in these eight verses, a prayer for boldness. And it can be divided into two sections, verses 41 through 43, it's a prayer for boldness, and then verses 44 through 48 is a commitment to boldness. And I hope you start to see a pattern where the, the psalmist always prays, but then put, put, puts feet to his prayers. He's not ever content to just pray. He also answers, as it were, is the answer to some, a lot of his prayers. And we see here, he prays for boldness, and then it just assumes that God is going to give them to, to, to him, and he commits to live in boldness. So the first section, verses 41 to 43, we see boldness to be faithful. We see that boldness to be faithful finds its anchor in the mercies of God. Look at verse 41. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So boldness finds its anchor in the mercies of God. This is a very special word for mercies. I think some of your translations may have loving kindness or steadfast love uh, next to, to it. This is a, uh, a mercy, a certain disposition of God towards us because he's entered into covenant with himself and with us. It's a disposition from God toward us because of the promises He's made in His name that He's never going to deny. Uh, remember how great is thy faithfulness goes? And that's, that, this, is, uh, this, this word is there too. Uh, how does the song go? How does the refrain? Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, can you, one person, one person. Oh God, my Father. How did it go? The whole, the whole refrain. Not the whole hymn, but the whole refrain. There is no shadow of turning with the Okay. Okay. Well, and then it ends as unto me, right? The refrain says unto me. And that sounds great. And there's a, a truth to that. But great is God's faith, and not because of us, but because of his name's sake. That's why it's so great that he's never going to deny it. It's not because of us, because we change. We, we, we are, uh, um, uh, we go from here to there and everywhere, but God is faithful to his person, to his name, to his promises. And that's why his mercy is the anchor to boldness, because according to his mercy, he's going to give us all things that we need to stand for the gospel. The word here is hesed, the word for God's covenantal faithfulness to us. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. The prayer in verse 41 is the only way the rest of the passage could be possible because of the mercies of the Lord. And the psalmist's faith is in, in Scripture despite the reproaches of the enemy. In verse 42, he says, So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in the word of God. These are the, the tauntings. Here we have the reproaches coming upon him. These are the taunting opposition of criticisms aimed against those who trust in Scripture. And he says here, to answer unbelievers, I need the Word of God. 
He says he prays that God is God will give him the words from His Word to answer the reproaches. So to answer unbelievers, the believer's faith is not on his own words, but in the words of God. We don't try to answer reproach or mocking or scoffing by our own words. We we answer by the words of God. And the psalmist prays in faith that God will not let him answer apart from God's truth. In verse forty-three, he says, "And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances." We may have a great fear of speaking God's word in public, but it seems that this psalmist's greatest fear was not to speak the word in public, was to be kept from speaking that word in public. His prayer is that he would never be kept from speaking the word of God in public. So he prays that his mouth will never stop speaking God's truth, no matter the situation, no matter the cost. We are often afraid of speaking God's truth in the slightest persecution. Somebody looks at us funny, or they say something that makes us think that they are against us. Yet the godly person's fear should be not speaking God's truth, even in the greatest of persecution. The godly fears God's disapproval, not men's disapproval. And we see that in the prayer of the psalm, the psalmist, where he prays that the word of God may be, never be removed from his mouth. And then he prays that he would have an answer to the ones who mock him for believing in the God of the Bible. Again, in 42, he says, I want to have an answer for those who reproach me because he trusts in the word. Brothers and sisters, we are also called to be ready to give an answer. We are to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks why we hope in God. That's what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And the psalmist prays for that. And that's what we need to be praying to, that when people see something in us, and they said, why do you have that hope? What is it about this faith that gives you hope? We need to be able to explain. And, and this is not just given to pastors, to elders, Sunday school teachers. Every believer, and if you're a true believer... You know the gospel. Because you cannot be a believer without knowing the gospel. So if you're a true believer, you know how to articulate the gospel. If you don't know how to articulate the gospel, then you're not a true believer. Because our faith is objective. It's based on a particular set of facts. And if you don't know those facts, you're not a, a Christian. So every Christian knows how to articulate the gospel. Every Christian knows how to give a reason for the hope that lies within him. And when we explain why we hope in God, we don't do it in terms of what we think, but in terms of thus says the Lord. Why, why you hope the way you hope? Because the Bible says so. Because the Bible says this about God. Because the Bible says this about me. Because the Bible says this about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a prayer for grace-enabled boldness to believe and to speak God's truth. You ever pray that, that God would give you the grace, the boldness to believe and to speak God's truth? Our brethren in the apostolic church prayed for that. Remember in Acts chapter 4, when they first uh, faced the first serious persecution, some of the apostles are in jail, they let it go, they come back to where the other apostles and disciples are. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, they rejoice and the honor for suffering uh, of suffering for the sake of the gospel. And then they pray, and then they pray, not the Lord would remove persecution, but that the Lord would give them boldness. 
to keep on proclaiming the very word that had gotten them in jail. And in that particular passage, God answered them with a very boldness that ended them in jail again. So that's been the practice of the church, to pray for boldness, to proclaim God's word. And this prayer is necessary because God's grace saves us from eternal suffering, but not necessarily from earthly suffering. We've never been promised in God's word a life of no suffering. As a matter of fact, we've been promised the other. The, the other. Remember what Paul says that will, will happen to the godly? The godly shall suffer persecution. So we need to pray for boldness because we live in a broken world. Jesus even promised that in this world you will have trouble. And some of the trouble here in Psalm 119 is, in fact, because we follow the Lord. Our prayers should not only be for a trouble-free life, but for grace to speak and live God's truth in our troubles. The more faithful we are to the Lord, the more trouble in our society we're going to face. And that's just how it is. We live in a world that's opposed to God. The more the light shines through us, the more persecution we're going to face. And the psalmist leaves matter of deliverance with God, and he focuses on continued boldness. He's not even asking to be delivered from the enemy. He says, I'll trust that you take care of that, in verse 41. I've, I want boldness to keep on proclaiming, to speaking, continue to speak the word of God. Have you ever found yourself saying, I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for the right time. I'm just looking for an open door. I'm just trying to pick my battles. Great, that's true. But you need to pick a battles. You need to walk through a door. Or you need to just kick it open if it's there. We need to be bold at whatever cost it might bring to us. Boldness to speak the gospel, not boldness to be a jerk to everybody around us. Uh, claiming that that is what being a Christian means. So he prays his prayer in verses 41 through 43, and then he shows a commitment to a life of selfless boldness in verses 44 through 48. So the psalmist just doesn't pray about it. He commits to doing it as well. He is committed to obeying uh, obeying the word of God, even in the midst of opposition. So in verse 44, he says, So shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. That's his commitment, to keep the law of God continually, forever and ever. Notice that he understands that obeying God's word is the eternal activity of the Christian. We forever are going to be obeying God's word. Obedience here is training for heaven. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22, where John is describing heaven, the eternal life, following the resurrection, he describes the this and that and the other thing, and then he says that... In verse 20, uh, Revelation 22, 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. That's what we're going to be doing forever, obeying and serving God in heaven. The psalmist realized that, that obedience here is training for heaven. And then the psalmist finds boldness in the truth that in faithfulness to the Word of God, there is safety. In verse 45, And I walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. He walks at liberty. To walk at liberty here literally means to walk in a wide space. 
So that's what the word literally means, to walk in a wide space. And to walk in a wide space is to walk in safety, knowing that you are not going to fall off the edges. Emily and I went on a hike yesterday at uh, Upper Lena Lake. And sometimes the, the, the place, the, the hike trails narrow and you can trip and fall the side. So you can't really walk at liberty because you might fall to your demise, which probably wouldn't die because the, the other path was right there. But, uh, you know, you get the, uh, the idea. Uh, well, here he's walking in a wide place. He's walking in liberty because he, hasn't, he doesn't have to worry about what's going to happen to him. And that's true of the Christian faith as well. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen to us. We can just do what God calls us to do. We can be focused on what God calls us to do because He's going to take care of the rest. Even if He calls us home through death, which is the worst thing that somebody can do to us, we don't have to worry about it because death is entrance in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, the psalmist thinks that liberty is in following God's word. And enslavement is in not following God's word. And that has to be our attitude as, as Christians, that liberty is in following God's word. We often tend to think of God's word as restrictive, as keeping us from doing all the things. But that's not true. We're designed to follow God's word. And that's why we are at our best, that's when we're at our freest, when we are following God's word. And to walk... In a wide space is to walk free from having to worry about what is around us so that we can focus on something else. In this case, boldness for the Lord. So we walk in a wide place. We walk in freedom. We walk in liberty. Nothing in this world entangles us. We can walk unshackled as we follow the word of the Lord. That's a commitment to boldness. Uh, Martin Luther got this. He got this in his hymn that we're singing in the moment. When it says, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we'll not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, Graham, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, to no things to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sight us. Let goods and kindred go. His mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His scheme is forever. That's, that is white, walking in a wide space. That is walking in liberty. And they think, oh, Martin Luther wrote this and, you know, from his living room with all his children around him, Katie preparing a beer for him. No. He wrote uh, a mighty fortress on the back of a wagon going to the Diet of Worms where he was sure that he was going to die. So this is not words not related to real life. He is going, as far as as he knows, to his death. And he is going, and he's going to proclaim the word of God, even at first timidly. And yet, he's assured that he's in a safe place, in a wide space, because it is the word of God that he's going to be proclaiming. And as the Lord answers the psalmist's prayers, he will not hold back speaking the truth from found in the Scriptures. Look at verse 46. I'll speak of your testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. Does this sound familiar to you? Have you heard this idea of speaking God's testimonies before kings in any other place in the Bible? Remember when Jesus sends the 70 
In Matthew chapter 10, he's sending the 72 by 2 to proclaim the word. And there he says, you're going to proclaim the word of God to kings, but don't worry about it. The Spirit is going to bring to mind what you are going to say. And then you're going to what you've heard in secret. You're going to scream out from housetops that all might hear. There's also here a hint of what Paul says in Romans 1, where he says that that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Because that's the power of God unto salvation. So he is going to speak the word. He's not going to hold back because the word of God is powerful. And the history of the church is filled with examples of this boldness spoken of in this psalm. Common people, just like you and I, full of boldness, doing this, this very thing. For example, Polycarp. Polycarp was born in the first century. He was a disciple of one of the disciples of John. Papias was his teacher, and John was Papias' teacher. And Polycarp, at 86 years old, he is imprisoned and brought before the magistrate. And the magistrate says, Man, old man, all you have to do is deny Christ. Just say the words and you'll be okay. And Polycarp says, Four square and six years have I served him, and he has never done me injury. How then can I now blaspheme my king and Savior. That's the boldness that God gives us, and this boldness results in his being burned at the stake at 86 years of age. Justin Martyr, well, growing up, he was just Mar- Justin, became Justin Martyr after, you know, he was martyred. But Justin Martyr declared to Emperor Marcus Aurelius, you know, Emperor Marcus Aurelius became famous with the movie Gladiator, right? He is the emperor that liked. Uh, Russell Crowe's character, and uh, then he died, and the wicked son became the emperor, and you know how the story goes. But Marcus Aurelius was a pagan uh, philosopher emperor, and Justin Martyr said to him, to his face, you can kill us, but you cannot hurt us. That's the boldness he had to proclaim what the Bible teaches. John Huss, more, more closer to our time, as he came before the magistrate, who wanted to kill him, he said, He who speaks the truth will have his head broken. He who fears death loses the joy of life. Truth conquers all things. He conquers who dies, for no adversity will harm him if, if he is not dominated by iniquity. He says, I'm sure, kill me. And then what? What else are you going to do? Truth still continues to be truth. Whether you kill me, or not, so let me tell you a few truths that eventually led him to be killed. And these are people just like you and me. These are not special people. These are not super Christians. They're people just like you and me who live in a world marred with sin. They boldly stood for Christ and his word because the grace of God, the same grace available to us today, empowered them to do so. And then the last thing we see here is that boldness to speak what is true, comes from conviction and from love. Look at verses 47 and 48. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. The psalmist was able to respond to his own prayer with boldness because he was convicted that the Bible is true and he loved it. Embarrassment, shame in standing for the Christian faith may come from a place of unbelief in our hearts. 
we may be embarrassed of the Christian position because we don't really believe it. We can't love what we don't believe. Yet this psalmist loved the word of God. He was convicted that the word of God is true and he loved it. And because of that, he could stand in boldness and speak the word of God. So let me ask you this as you come to a close. Do you lack boldness? Do you lack boldness? Ask the Lord for it. That's what the psalmist did. Pray earnestly earnestly for it. And then when you're done praying, practice it. Practice the boldness that God has promised to give to you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We pray that we'll be bold for it, that that we'll be convicted by it, that we'll love it, and that we'll stand on it for asking Jesus' name. Amen.